This is the Fail Fast Podcast. Stories of entrepreneurs who looked at failure in the eyes and didn't give up. With your host, the online sales master, Quinn Amorum. Today's amazing Fail Fast interview is sponsored by ClickFunnels. Whatever your goal is, if it's to generate leads, sell products, send more emails, ClickFunnels can give you everything you need to market, sell, and deliver your products or services online. All of this without having to hire or rely on a tech team. So if you want to try it for two weeks, 100% for free, go to failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. That's it. I'll say it again. The link is failfastpodcast.com forward slash click. Welcome to the podcast, my friends. Today, we have a guest who is an entrepreneur, an investor, a technology enthusiast. He is also the principal consultant, architect, and CTO of Tetra Noodle. We have Manuj Agarwal. How's it going, Manuj? Not bad. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, first of all, thank you for, um, for being here and uh, sharing your knowledge with the audience. No, thanks a lot for having me. I'm so excited. So I want to start with who you are and how you started your career at the age of 15 uh, working at a factory. Uh, Let us know kind of how many hours you had to work there and how much money you were making back then. Yeah, that was tough life. Um, Yeah, I was working about uh, 12 hours uh, a day um, and doing my schooling, uh, my education, whatever I could afford at that time. And I was making, uh, I was getting paid about $2 a day. So that was like $60 a month. And um, there was, there was fun, fun times, like uh, really hot summers and um, really grueling work. Wow, man. Oh, man. So 60 bucks a month. You know, I, I thought I had a bad one. I started and that was like many, many years ago too, back in Europe. But um, yeah, mine was about 10 times that, which is yeah. still terrible for today's standards. But yeah. Well, let me let me clarify it for the audience. But um, you know, sixty dollars. Uh, obviously, when you convert it, it sounds quite less. But um, it, it it's not a huge amount of money. But you know, uh, the living expenses in India are, are not comparable to uh, Western countries. And this is like twenty years ago. So you could survive, uh, you know, on two dollars a day. But that's sort of bare bare minimum survival. Like mm-hmm. not uh, too much, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's still enough to get by. Exactly. So, how did you manage to acquire your your education? Yeah. So, you know, being in that situation, I I was trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? What resources do I have that I can uh, use to my advantage? And the only thing that that I had was my intellect, my uh, my education. And since I ha- I didn't have a lot of resources, I sort of uh, got the the best education that I could afford, um, which was which was not something that I I was capable of uh, based on my uh, you know academic uh, record and everything. But whatever I could afford, and then that was based on my uh, current profession, which is technology. I fell in love with uh, computers and software um, after uh, I finished my high school. So after my bachelor's degree, I took uh, a master. I got a master's degree in IT, and um, uh, rest is history. Basically, I started working um, at uh, at a startup, and um, then uh, it just so happened that I met my wife during one of those computer programming courses. 
and uh, you know we decided to get married and then after a year of marriage we decided to move to canada um and then in canada you know i, I worked for several large corporations and startups um and this was back in uh, year around 2000 2000 when the dot com uh, boom was uh, at, at its height so it was an exciting time and uh, i got to learn a lot uh, working on some really exciting projects during that time but uh, you know the the rise was uh, a lot of fun but uh, you know when it all crashed i still remember those days when you know uh, everybody was being laid off one by one and uh, mm-hmm. that other experience to go through uh, and that experience itself taught me a lot of things that is to you know not not uh, count on every anything being permanent uh, anything can be sort of taken away from underneath you so you got to be prepared and got to have uh, you know uh, like uh, versatility in in your in your uh, skill sets as well as patience in in when when things don't work out as as you expect them to work out It's pretty impressive. So, how was it the transition moving from India? You moved directly to Canada to Vancouver, right? Yeah, so that's right. Van- right. Vancouver is known to having I don't know, like 10 grand per square foot every house. Uh, <laughs> how was Yeah, that? I mean, it, so uh, Vancouver is um, you know, if uh, people know about the geography of Canada like uh, it's on the it's on the uh, western uh, side of canada and it's a it's a mild weather the rest of the country gets really you know harsh weather during winter time like really really cold and during summer time really hot but vancouver is surrounded by ocean and it's uh, pretty mild weather so we picked vancouver for uh, particularly that reason and in the in th- those days 20 years ago it was not um, you know a, a that expensive it was not like you know, a, a well known uh, city around the world where you know people come in to invest and buy real estate it was manageable uh, and as i said uh, i was uh, working here during the dot com boom and uh, you know immediately as uh, within two months of me landing in canada i got a job as a as a junior programmer and i think it paid me like, like 20 200 a month or something and that was a huge a huge uh, difference from uh, $6 uh, $60 a month and you know that was uh, amazing i think we we got um we, we were able to live life uh, nicely until slowly you know the real estate prices uh, started to go high and then um a lot has changed in 20 years so today uh, it's it's kind of really hard for somebody who comes into the country um and tries uh, to establish themselves because of um, how expensive it is here but luckily you know at that time it was manageable and and since i had that foundation it is still manageable but it is it is obviously getting quite expensive i know exactly when you mentioned about the the other provinces in canada and how harsh the weather can be i know exactly how that is cuz i spent 10 years in fort mcmurray in alberta oh wow, wow. so <laughs> i had lots of minus 50 days <laughs> my goodness uh, all the power to you i i don't think i can survive that no that's that's very painful there <laughs> Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Tetra Noodle uh, did you found Tetra Noodle That's right that's right so um uh, right after the dot com boom uh, and bust uh, explained it to you you know what i realized was that uh, this notion of having a security in your in your permanent job is is a myth so because you know a lot can change and a lot can uh, happen and um you you, you know you you are 
uh, it's it's just best that you take control of your own career and your life. So I, I um, uh, started this consulting company back then. It was called Spider Communications, and uh, you know the name uh, Spider came from the World Wide Web. Uh, I thought it was a, a clever thing, but then uh, in you know around 2010 or so, like people started asking me the it, the name didn't sound right, so I changed it to Stutter Noodle again. The name is sort of has as a history. Uh, it was named uh, because um, I was sitting in a, a restaurant called Noodle Box when it, the name came to me. So I said, "Okay, let's call it that." Um, uh, after that uh, restaurant, and uh, so basically, what it is, is is a consulting company and training company. So I provide consulting services uh, on software and IT and everything related to technology and product. And also, we train uh, software engineers and. I also mentor uh, entrepreneurs who want to launch their tech startups. And I see something that said that you train engineers in, in cutting edge technology. And that just sounds so cool. Can you explain that? Yeah. So um, as I said, uh, you know, when I was uh, starting my career, it was really hard at that time to find information, find mentors, find even uh, even the books used to cost a lot of money. There were no blogs, no YouTube, no nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to learn everything the hard way. Um, and uh, now when I see a lot of engineers coming out of the university, uh, you know, they have they have a lot of theoretical knowledge, which uh, generally is quite um, behind uh, from what is happening in the real life in, in, in the business world. So they have to unlearn quite a few things and, and learn how to do things properly. So um, one of my passions is, you know, sharing all this knowledge, for, especially for engineers who are, you know, just still learning or they feel stuck. They don't know how to uh, rise in their career, how to take the next step. So I uh, provide all this training um, uh, specifically on, on, the, on the latest and greatest technologies. And there are a lot of these technologies coming up these days, you know, blockchain and AI and machine learning. All these are very exciting technologies and people um, need to understand uh, and learn for, for the, you know, the, the kind of jobs that are coming up uh, in the next phase. So I do that and it's a lot of fun sharing that knowledge. And, you know, as, as they say, um, the best way to learn is to teach. So I also, you know, through this process, I also learn a lot of things as I go through this process. Uh, that is true. I find that to be true. Yeah. When you're teaching, you learn probably at a faster pace than the people that exactly. are learning. Exactly. So, when it comes to uh, Tetra Noodle, you said it's software consulting company. So can yeah. you explain exactly what that means? Does that mean if I am, I don't know, if I have a, a software, you will try to fix something in my code or are you are going to fix my software company? So um, the way that I have, uh, since I have uh, 20 years of experience working on various projects, I can sort of, you know, start at any point. So um, right from um, a point where as a founder or an entrepreneur comes up with the idea about tech startup, uh, they don't know what to do about about that idea. The next, uh, what's the next step to take? Uh, but they, but they know they they want to execute. They want to build it. I can um, collaborate with them and uh, sort of guide them through the process, uh, right up to the point where the product is launched and. Uh, they have some customers paying for the product. Um, so that's an end-to-end sort of, uh, you know, spectrum of what I can do. But otherwise, uh, I've also worked with entrepreneurs who have already launched their startups and, you know, they're running into, into some execution problems where the software is not working 
or they don't have traction or whatever the case is, I can uh, come in and have a look at their situation and then uh, help them out, uh, uh, you know, if I can. In some cases, I can't because, uh, you know, whatever they're doing, it's outside the, um, uh, the realm of expertise that I have. But in most cases, I can, if it's related to technology, I can help. Right, so how do you help bootstrap tech, uh, tech startups? Yeah. So, um, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions lately that uh, media is feeding uh, entrepreneurs and Silicon Valley is feeding entrepreneurs. And that is to, uh, to launch a tech uh, company, you need to raise millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, that may be true if, you, if your company is, uh, you know, growing and it's bringing in revenue. But um, right at the beginning of the uh, tech startup, I don't think it makes sense to raise a lot of money because you don't really know, uh, uh, you know, how much money, first of all, what kind of product uh, will sell, what kind of um, uh, revenue you will get. And moreover, um, you end up giving a lot of equity if you start to raise right at the beginning of your uh, startup. Um, so what happens in that case is, you know, you're practically giving away your uh, freedom to the VC or the angel investor who's investing in you. And now, they end up calling the shots rather than you. So with bootstrapping, the idea is that, you know, you, you do things on a, with pragmatic uh, uh, method and you start small, you figure out exactly what people want. Uh, you refine the idea, prototype it and get more feedback and go through some several iterations, all the while keeping the expenses very low. you uh, using techniques like outsourcing for uh, minimizing your uh, burn rate, um, you know, using uh, prototyping rather than building elaborate products, even without knowing what the public wants. So all this is, you know, sort of a, is, a, is a process, is a framework that I follow. And using that, uh, you can pretty much uh, bootstrap your first version of your of your product uh, with a few tens of thousands of dollars. So instead of millions of dollars, you can, you know, bootstrap with, uh, say, anywhere from 25000 to $100,000 and bring the product to the market, uh, get some revenue, prove that your concept works. And then if it feels right, then you go to the VC and say, okay, I have proven the concept. I have traction. Now I want to raise money. And the, and the VC will be very much interested in investing in you. And uh, instead of taking 50% of your company, they'll take maybe 10% because you've already proven the concept. Okay. So you favor uh, bootstrapping it at the beginning and then only go see the VCs when you have something solid. Exactly. Do you think that that will slow down the initial growth? It, it will. It, it, yeah, it may slow it down. But um, at the same time, if you look at all the successful major companies, you know, you'll see that they actually started, uh, you know, just started the cons their company uh, in a bootstrap manner. Like you, you look at Amazon, look at Microsoft, look at Apple, um, Facebook. All these companies, they started, you know, uh, without any external... Uh, Investments and once they prove uh, they they prove the the business model, then they accelerated the growth by getting external money and also it's it's favorable to them because now they have proven the uh, the concept they are the the they are the how, how decision makers in the business because they have uh, you know figured out all the all the ins and outs of that business not somebody else not an external uh, investor or stakeholder. So now when the investor comes in, um, the CEO or the founder is the expert in that business. So now they can, the, the founders can call the shots and they can say, hey, this is our company that we have built. 
and I, we can only afford to give you this much equity. If you if it suits you, then fine. If it's it doesn't suit you, then there are other VCs who are interested. So uh, basically, it becomes a you know a, a deal uh, for the founders to close rather than for the VCs to call the shots. Right? Yeah, I really like that. So Manoj, when you're looking at a startup company on a tech company, what are some of the things that you need to see kind of to figure out to determine that they're going to have, be successful or not? Um, the, the, see, any business, any company, the, the core of the business is whether they're building or producing something that people want and people will pay for. So that is the number one thing. Um, it could be the best technology or the most mind-blowing technology on the face of earth. But if it doesn't serve a purpose, if nobody wants it, no, or nobody wants to pay for it, um, then it's useless. Like as a company, it's not going to survive. So the very web, uh, first thing is figure out, okay, is there a product market fit? And if it's not, then uh, you start to uh, fix that. Once you get the product market fit, the next step is, okay, is the execution good? Meaning, you know, um, uh, obviously, uh, if the product market fit is there, that means there is a demand. But is the company and the team capable enough to fulfill that demand? Uh, so it could be like, you know, okay, there are 100 customers uh, looking to buy this software. Can we build the software to serve those 100 people? And the next step is now, let's say those 100 people are happy, they refer their friends, and now, you know, 1,000 people want your software. Can you go from 100 to 1,000 uh, in in matter of days, uh, because as uh, businesses start to scale, and if the idea is good, execution is good, you have to be prepared to scale as well. Otherwise, you will remain at a very you know uh, a low, um, uh, uh, a very gradual growth, right? Uh, but if if you really want um, you know um, uh, like a very quick um, growth phase. You have to be prepared for that as well. So not only execution at at, uh, at the beginning, but also um, you know fast-paced expansion plans. So uh, I'm a product kind of guy. So when when I want to launch a product, I have tools that allow me to check the demand before I launch anything. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be successful or not. Yeah. How do you do that with software? Well, it's it's pretty much the same thing, right? Like you can uh, use tools like getting feedback from your prospective uh, clients, um, maybe run some surveys, uh, go to social media, and you know um, uh, get some feedback from the from the users. And there are some other tools uh, that you can uh, use to put some concepts in front of your users and get the, their direct feedback. There are lots of apps these days where you know you can ask. Uh, questions and just open-ended question. Hey, I'm thinking of building an uh, building an app uh, for people who want to travel the world. You know, and it's going to have these features. What do you think? And you get you know maybe 100 responses. And out of that, if there are 70 responses which are positive, that means you are on on the right track. So now you need to keep doing that, refining it, and coming to a point where you know you know almost um, to the point that you know okay, these are the things that people want and they are important to them and if i can put it together they will pay for it and then the next step once you have that on paper the next step could be to to prototype it not build the entire app but prototype it and then you put that prototype in front of the user and say hey you know i i talked to you earlier and i worked on it on that idea so here's the prototype what do you think and again if you get positive response 
then that means you are still on the right track and now you can go ahead and convert that prototype into a real uh, project. How about when people sometimes develop really strong beliefs towards a project that they have in their head? So mm -hmm. they, they believe that it's going to be super successful. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say when, when those people are afraid to ask for feedback because they're afraid somebody's going to steal their idea? Okay. So, yeah. So th there are a few, few uh, parts of that question. I'll address both, right? So first of all, uh, you know, this is something I tell every entrepreneur. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your judgment. And don't put too much faith in your own judgment. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to be political, but uh, look at, uh, you know, uh, 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 U.S. elections. Look at Brexit. Nobody thought that, you know, the result that, that uh, you know, that was the outcome of these things will be the right result, right? So mm -hmm. whatever the public is thinking out there, you cannot perceive, you cannot comprehend whatever is going on, uh, you know, out there. So if you get too comfortable with your own judgment, uh, I think that's a recipe for disaster, uh, I mean, in my opinion. Um, so always, uh, always be afraid of your own strong opinion and get feedback. It will serve you in the long run. And uh, the other thing is, um, what was the last part of your question, sorry? How, what would you tell the people that are afraid to share the idea oh, yeah. so yeah. somebody doesn't steal it? So, um, again, uh, for me, uh, in my entrepreneurship experience, um, the key thing that people lack is, is the ability to take action. So you can put a blueprint in front of them and say, okay, you know, these are the steps one, two, three, four, you need to do. Okay. And also you can give them uh, the people who can help them to take those actions, but it's very difficult for people to take that action. And, uh, you know, I used to think that way as well. Like, you know, if I share my idea with somebody, they'll steal it. But now, you know, I know that there are so many ideas out there. If people have to take action, they can take action. But and 95% of the population out there, um, you know, will they, they generally as humans, we are as human species, we are lazy, like, you know, we just want uh, things to happen for us. So um, uh, we, if we if we rely on this human trait, I think we are safe to share the ideas with anyone. Um, and if the, the person is a go getter, um, you know, they'll they'll collaborate with you, they will not stab you in the back because they know, you know, uh, execution uh, cannot be done alone. So um, I feel that if you share ideas, you have better success or uh, better chances at success because you'll start to build that community of like-minded people, and you know you will uh, have uh, you will uh, overall uh, it will be a positive effect because of all the collaboration that you can get from these people. Yeah, I, I love I love both parts of those answers. The one that you don't trust your own judgment. Because yeah. more than likely you won't be right, and mm -hmm. the one that people don't take action, and I I have the proof of that, because I started teaching a lot of people e-commerce and how to sell on Amazon, and I was doing it completely for for free, right? I I was just trying to help people, and mm -hmm. what started happening was I felt that I was wasting my time because a mm -hmm. lot of the people that got trained for free didn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of like a waste of, of my time. Exactly. No, um, I mean, that's, that's another thing. Like if I've noticed, like if we, if we give something for free, it's devalued. Like they think that it's useless. 
So, uh, you know, um, so if, if I give advice and, and help to somebody for free, generally they will not act on it. But if I charge some uh, money, there's a slight chance they will act on it. But, uh, you know, still, still not 100% uh, there, only, you know, 5%, 10% chance they will act on it. Absolutely. Do you have any methodology of what you use to build businesses? Um, for the tech startup, yes. Uh, you know, as I said, like uh, I have a framework, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's got about nine steps that I follow uh, from uh, conception to sort of launch. Um, but other, other than that, uh, it de- really depends on situations. A lot of people come up with their unique uh, situations, whatever their situation is. And in that case, I can take a part of that framework and then uh, use it, or I can come up with some um, more innovations, uh, you know, off the top of my head and then help them out uh, as the situation demands. All right. So I know a couple of things about you and I want to ask you, like one is you favor fast execution instead of endless deliberation. And oh, yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I guess everybody agrees with that. How about bending the rules uh, over abiding by them? What, what's your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, once again, you know, this is where, uh, I feel that, uh, you know, you, you need to, you need to open up yourself like as an entrepreneur and take chances as entrepreneurs, we are risk takers, right? And one of the risks, uh, is, uh that, that any venture, uh, has is to break some rules. And there are so many rules to follow. There are, you know, uh, rules from the society rules from, uh, obviously, the the legal system, the country that you live in. Um, so obviously, I'm not suggesting break any, any laws, but um, try to look for uh, the loopholes that are available, which are legal. Um, try to not shy away from the rules that society has imposed on you. If it makes sense and if the, if the public wants it um, and you have done the research, uh, I say go for it. I mean, you can push the boundaries and only then, um, you know, innovation happens. Like, look at Elon Musk and, and some of these big names. Uh, if, if they uh, abided by the conventional wisdom, they will not be able to do things that they are doing, right? It's only when they say, okay, you know what? I understand that uh, people have not done it before, but I'm going to try it. The worst that can happen will fail. And we'll know that this is not going to work. But if it works, then at least we have, you know, uh, cross on the threshold. That's the best example you could use. Elon Musk, uh, like he's going places. He's the guy that's going to take us, uh, make us into interplanetary species, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it happens still during my lifetime. Well, that's what he's saying. So let's see. I mean, I think um, he's generally three or four years late, but he delivers. So uh, he said that uh, you know, within our lifetimes, we'll we'll have a colony on Mars. So let's see. Yeah, it's incredible how he's always the underdog in every project when he starts it, nobody believes. And then he, he ends up getting true believers. I guess everybody believes him now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Manus, tell me, do you have any examples of results that you have achieved success stories for your clients? Yeah. Um, so, the biggest, the biggest success story I've had is... Uh, when I was working with a company called Pearson Education, they have um, they're a very big publishing house. They print uh, uh, textbooks for for school kids and university uh, students. So um, back in 2005, they wanted to digitize their platform. 
and accompany their textbooks with uh, digital content. So I was the main sort of uh, technical uh, person who was leading that project and uh, we brought it from zero to $400 million in revenue in, within five years. Uh, it was a very successful uh, worldwide um, project and that was, you know, I, I learned a lot, lot, made a lot of mistakes. But that was the, the biggest success I had. And other than that, I've worked with several um, startups. Uh, one startup, uh, you know, they were sort of on the brink of uh, shutting down. They spent three uh, three years trying to work on a solution. It spent $10 million, close to $10 million trying to work on it. Um, but they, at the end of the day, they had, you know, a Frankenstein of a, of a product that didn't really work and uh, investors were upset and customers were upset. So um, I looked at their situation and then within nine months sort of, you know, relaunched the whole technology, uh, built three products and brought in revenue and everything. So um, similarly, uh, there was another company uh, in the wearables space. Um, they spent two years uh, close to, I think, $4 million and they were not getting anywhere. And then within three months, we we turned it around and you know started shipping products to their customers. So um, generally, what happens is in all these situations, there is a you know um, there is a critical piece that is missing. So it's it's like the eighty twenty rule. So when uh, things are you know so urgent, you need to look for that uh, uh, that key piece that you can spend twenty percent of your time, but have the eighty percent of impact and get things moving again and. You know, once they are moving, once you're getting revenue, things start to ease. Like as they say, you know, sales heals, uh, sales heal everything, right? So as soon as you have some revenue, uh, then you can relax a little bit and then give yourself a little bit more time to fix things. But when you don't have revenue, you know, you just gotta like figure out very quickly uh, what's the right thing to do uh, to get to that stage. So when when you have a product or or a company that for example, like one of those, those couple of last situations that they weren't being successful, uh, how do you assess to see, okay, it's time to actually cut the losses and, and consider this a dead project, or we still have a chance to save it? How do you, because yeah. that must be a thin line between the two. Yeah. So once again, it goes back to the basics, right? So uh, if, if we can do um, a quick assessment, if the customers want want the, what the company is offering, that means there is something there, right? So it's it's a so that means that you know there there is there is a seller, there is a buyer, and business can happen. The only thing that needs to happen is you know whatever is in the middle, meaning you know the the goods or the service that we need to provide to the customers. And if that is the case, then we can salvage whatever the company has already built and uh, figure out how to deliver that as quickly as possible. In some cases, it could be a few weeks. It's some, in some cases, it could be a year or so. But then, you know, at least uh, the transactions will happen and the revenue will start flowing. Uh, in some other cases, you can uh, clearly judge that whatever the company has built, there, there are no customers for it. And, uh, you know, they're just spinning their wheels and trying to uh, force down this technology uh, into somebody's throat, which is not going to work. And in that case, you got to pivot. Uh, so whether... You like it or not? If the if if the founders are not uh, you know flexible enough, um, then yeah, I mean uh, I don't know how to handle that situation. But if they are uh, flexible and they when presented with evidence, they say yeah, it's time to pivot. Then we can salvage what they have and then try to see how we can you know uh, create something new out of it or something relevant out of it. So uh, 
you know, and that's also possible in many cases. That's a great explanation. So uh, how do you go today to getting clients for your own business? What kind of strategies do you use to get to find your own clients? Um, It's I'm still, um, you know, quite new to the whole sales and marketing. And uh, I used to get uh, pretty much all my clients through word of mouth. uh, But now I'm uh, sort of learning. And this is, again, uh, my passion for learning. Um, So I'm enjoying learning how to you know, execute marketing strategies and and sales and all that. So I'm using LinkedIn quite a bit and um, I launched a podcast recently. Um, So all these, uh, uh, all these efforts are to one, to put my name out there uh, as well as, you know, just sharing knowledge and experience. So uh, once again, a lot of the content that, uh, you know, as, as, as we are doing this right now, a lot of this content is available for free and I hope uh, people get, uh, you know, a good advice from this and uh, they can implement it in their businesses and their uh, personal lives. And, uh, you know, just using this, um, I believe it will, will lead to um, better list of clients and, and uh, more exposure, I think. So, and as a technology guy, what is one of your favorite tools out there? Uh, favorite tools? Um, well, so right now, um, you know, we are living in a very interesting time because um, it doesn't happen uh, very frequently that a lot of uh, really, really uh, fundamental technologies come together. So right now, what is happening is you have cloud computing, which is sort of uh, becoming mature. You have uh, machine learning, uh, which has been there for decades. But, you know, uh, in the last uh, five or six years, it has really uh, blossomed like it has really um become useful for very critical use cases. Um, and then you have blockchain, you have quantum computing. All these technologies are coming together. It, it's like a perfect storm. So once you combine all these technologies, uh, you can get some really compelling um, uh, products, you know, self-driving cars or, uh, you know, uh, rockets that can land back on Earth or, you know, things of that nature, right? So these things were not possible before, uh, all these technologies were available. So I won't say I have a favorite tool, but my my whole um, hypothesis is that, you know, this these technologies coming together, they are going to fundamentally change how we live and work within the next 10 or 20 years, right? Um, the financial systems are going to be affected, how uh, the supply chain solution uh, systems are going to be affected, how we um, access information is going to be affected. So... Uh, they are going to have a huge, huge impact on on the human race. Uh, in fact, so I will say, you know, all these all these cutting edge technologies are my favorite tools right now. What's the difference uh, between machine learning and deep learning? So, um, machine learning is sort of like uh, uh, in 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 uh, in uh, learning. You know, it's it's like um, how our brain uh, works is by uh, connecting these um, these nerve cells, right, and then they pass the message from one nerve cell to another. So machine learning, you can say, you know, two nerve cells are interacting with each other. But in in deep learning, you can attach hundreds of nerve cells. So, you know, each nerve cell uh, gives you more intelligence, if you will. I'm just using layman terms. So, you know, if I'm a little bit off the technical, uh, uh, you know, precision, please don't shoot me down. Um, So with deep learning, basically, you know, you can attach multiple nerve cells and the system gets smarter and smarter and smarter. 
Uh, and that is a difference. The only thing with deep learning is machine learning can be used for like simpler scenarios, but deep learning can, uh, is uh, used where you have like, you know, more complex scenarios, like, you know, things like um, uh, intuition or things like, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's not a very straightforward answer to a solution. It's like a more fuzzy answer. So, you know, when you look at the sky, you can, you can say, you know, uh, the, the, um, the clouds look a little bit dark to me. I think it's going to rain today. So as humans, we have that experience. We can make that judgment. But with machine learning, it will say, okay, it's, is it a blue sky or uh, it's got clouds, right? So um, it's not very sophisticated. But with deep learning, you can say, okay, you know, these are, uh, these are different kinds of clouds, right? So deep learning system will understand um, at a very uh, deeper level what kind of weather it is going to be. So that is sort of the difference. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. And I see one of your skills is blockchain. And immediately when I hear blockchain, I associate, associate cryptocurrencies. And I'm guessing a lot of people that are not directly into it probably think the same thing. Mm-hmm. So the blockchain, I know it's it's here to stay, correct? Mm-hmm. How about the the crypto themselves? What, what's your so let, me, yeah, let me clarify that. So, you know, again, uh, there's, there's, this is what happens like, Crypto is is just one application of blockchain. Blockchain is sort of the underlying uh, infrastructure um, based on which uh, you can build applications. And the strength of the blockchain is to implement trust, um, a distributed trust between parties when there is no uh, higher authority to establish that trust. Uh, what I mean by that is, let's say you want to transact, uh, let's say I want to you know, send you some money. So I, I cannot send you that money unless I talk to the bank where you have an account or somehow those banks talk to each other. So there's a higher authority we go to uh, to resolve these things. I Because, you know, uh, if I don't know you, I, I cannot trust you that if I send you the money, you will you send me the goods that I ordered or whatnot. Uh, with blockchain, uh, the, the key idea is that even though we don't uh, have any central authority to establish establish that trust, we, as parties, we can establish the trust between ourselves. And, the, and, the, and, the, and that's the beauty of blockchain. So where can this be applied? Like, you know, where you know, things like land registries and, and uh, um, uh, transactions where uh, you don't fundamentally trust that people will do the right thing. Uh, so as, you, as business is happening or if workflow is happening, you put all the transactions on the blockchain. And, and then the other thing is, uh, uh, whatever you put in blockchain is indestructible. So um, you cannot go back and change things. You cannot cover up your tracks. Um, so as you record these transactions, you establish trust and it's it's there forever. So that that creates all these use cases where, you know, people can trust each other over the internet, even though they don't know each other. They don't know, uh, they don't know, uh, they don't need to go through a bank or higher authority. And one of the applications of this whole infrastructure is cryptocurrencies. Now, I fundam- I have not invested in cryptocurrencies, even though I know blockchain quite well. Uh, and the reason is because, you know, I know, um, I, I have some knowledge of uh, financial uh, markets and investments. And I know fundamentally, uh, you know, you need something backing an asset uh, to be able to say, okay, you know, this is an investment that I can make and, and uh, be comfortable that, you know, it will not just vaporize in, into thin air. 
when so what i mean by that is when you invest in a company you know there are some assets behind that uh, company they are making some revenue and you know it's 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 a solid business that you can invest in with uh, with bitcoin the only thing there is is a, is a faith in this in this uh, currency and nobody's backing it up nobody's responsible for it and i also know that as soon as uh, you know these cryptocurrencies become big enough that they start to affect the established financial markets they will be regulated i mean they're not going to give up that easy um, all these uh, big giant uh, banks and financial uh, uh, companies um, governments so until you know that happens that clarity comes through where you know uh, cryptocurrencies are regulated and they become mainstream and accepted i personally uh, stay away from it because i know there are other ways to invest your money and make decent uh, decent returns on that okay so that's exactly what i thought when i believe it was 2017 when they had exploded and it went to almost 19000 mm-hmm. uh each bitcoin and so the whole world would had their eyes on this mm-hmm. and that's i started thinking so if it is going to be this way that all these financial entities will intervene very quickly yeah. Yeah. so that's exactly what i thought yeah i mean it, you can imagine like you know 2008 um the whole world sort of crash uh, came crashing down and and uh, it was the doing of these financial uh, you know companies and banks but instead of getting um, punished they got bailed out it, that shows you how much power they have and they're not going to let go of that power that easily right of course not it's not just power it's the billions that come with it right yeah exactly <laughs> my name is tell us about your podcast uh my podcast it's called bootstrapping your uh, startup dreams or or dreams and it's all about you know as i said earlier like i come from humble beginnings and uh, i think through um hard work and uh, and patience and some luck you know i think i was able to build a decent life for myself so i just share that uh, experience with uh, with others uh, who may come from a similar background uh, who may not come from wealth or may not have you know ivy league degrees um, if you uh, use just you know common sense methods and just apply yourself and uh, do some hard work i think people can make it and it's it's my way of giving back it's my way of encouraging uh, people to follow their dreams and and do what they really want to do in their lives and not be constrained by any external factors because i don't believe i mean we we create these uh, these boundaries around us uh, in our heads but if you let go of those boundaries and you know start to look at the positive side of things and just figure things out as as they come there are solutions available more more so now than ever like you know you can start to uh, you, you can build a company f- with few thousand dollars you can start a podcast with your iphone i mean all these uh, tools were not available like even 10 years ago so there is no excuse for us to you know sit back and just sulk and complain it's time to take action absolutely and i love that because mm-hmm. i i agree 100% uh, you and you said maybe 10 years ago none of this existed i'd say that most of this didn't exist 5 years ago exactly yeah the fact that i could be sitting here right now you're in vancouver i'm in alberta and uh you know through a podcast that you know we launched with a couple clicks of a keyboard 
Wow, tell me that life isn't beautiful. That's exactly, exactly. And then uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure you know the kind of information we get uh, from these podcasts. People used to charge thousands and thousands of dollars for this kind of advice. This is really good advice, you know, from people who have already. And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the guests that I have on my podcast and other guests that you have on your podcast. They have so much experience. They are sharing it for free. And, you know, as you said, like even five, 10 years ago, you had to hire uh, somebody like these people for like thousands and thousands of dollars for just one hour uh, to pick their brain, right? Yes, I, I completely agree. And you know what? For example, for one of my podcasts, which is the Fail Fast podcast, all entrepreneurs that come over have had a failure story. And just mm -hmm. the fact that that person is comfortable sharing their story right there it tells me how successful they are right now because most people when they're not su successful yet they don't want to talk about their failures yeah, because yeah. they still consider like I, I still right i still living one but so that means we're getting advice from people that have been there and they yeah. have done it and they have gone through ups and downs and that's what every entrepreneur does you go through yeah. ups and downs Exactly. And when you find what works, then we're willing to share it with, with the world. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's another thing. Uh, it just points to that previous discussion we were having, like, you know, why are you, are you afraid of sharing these ideas? Like, we are sharing all these ideas for free, openly. And, uh, you know, whoever wants to take them and uh, take advantage of them, implement them, he or she is free to do that. Yeah, exactly. So my news uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find uh, your business, your podcast, and how they follow you. Sure. Um, yeah, they can find me on uh, LinkedIn, on, on Twitter, on um, uh, Instagram. So either search by my name, Manu Jagarwal, um, or my company name, Tractor Noodle Technologies. Um, if it's okay, I can share um, my uh, uh, URLs, the, the company URL, it's tractornoodle.com. And a couple of other URLs, if you can put them in the show notes, that'll be good so that people can find it easily. I will. I'll have everything on the show notes. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are driving, don't take, don't try to write this down right now. Make sure you wait till you pull over and I'll have them on the show notes. Well, unless they are driving a self-driving car. Yeah, exactly. Unless you have a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Manus, thank you very much. This was Thanks a lot. time with you. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks for subscribing to Fail Fast Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and visit failfastpodcast.com for show notes, Quinn's social media, or even to tell us your story.